Earlier this week, I was <clears throat> complaining a little bit to the Daily Mass crowd about Easter's a really hard time to preach. Because you have all these, basically what the church does, more or less, is takes these, there's three chapters in John's Gospel, and, and just lays them all out. And it's, you, you know these chapters, because it's, it's what we heard. It's, Jesus says, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. I'm from the Father, going to, back to the Father, and if the Father is equal to me, but I'm greater than the Father, the Father's greater than me, and if you're with the Father, and you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and you know, like, it's just this web of like theological poetry but what the whole point is is what we're trying to do during the easter season what the church is doing is establishing the divinity of christ that he is the way to the father there's no other way except through him there's no other way to heaven except through him and what got me thinking about this is i'm sure all of you i was gonna i I was saying most of you but i'm sure all of you use uh gps apps Right, Waze, Google Maps, whatever you're, uh, you pick your poison. But I've been thinking a lot about these apps this week because we've become so dependent upon them. At least I have. Like if I'm even questioning where somebody might live, I text them, what's your address? Put it into, the, into Google Maps and let it take me. I, we trust them implicitly, you guys. We use them all the time. And today Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I'm the map. I will lead you like those stupid little apps lead you. I will too. Problem is, you and I trust Google Maps way more than we trust Jesus. Way more. We don't even think twice if they're taking us the right way. Right? I mean, you hit go and you just do whatever it tells you. We trust them implicitly. We est- they're, they're estimated at being 95% accurate in directional information. It was great. Yesterday after the 4 p.m., I said that and somebody said, yeah, GPS is 95% accurate. Jesus is 100% accurate. He knows where he's going, right? Their accuracy is a result of 32 global satellites blanketing the earth, right, which allow us to know our, our location on the planet anywhere, which is simply amazing to me. And we depend on these satellites to lead us to our destination. What Jesus is trying to get across to us today is he's saying, I'm the way. I will lead you, not to a destination, to your ultimate destination. I'm the path. I'm the road. I'm the map. Follow me. Let me lead. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He went on a hunt in Africa. <clears throat> really cool analogy, I thought. And he was, they said they were driving in these trucks on this road, this, you know, whatever dirt road. And they got to the end of the dirt road, and all of a sudden the road just stopped. And he said, we got out. And there were grassland, rolling grasslands in front of us, not a footprint, path, marker of any kind. And he said, he turned to the guide, the hunting guide, and he said to him, he said, where's the road? And the guide looked back at him and said, I am the road. And what did he mean? He meant, I know where to go. You don't have a clue. If I sent you out there, you would get so lost. But if you follow me and let me lead, I will take you to the ultimate destination, which is animals that you want to kill. And he said, that's what I did. I just followed the guy. I thought we were so dang lost in the middle of some safari park. And all of a sudden I killed all the animals I signed up for. And we were back at the camp. This is what the Lord wants to do for us. He's saying in the uncertainty of this world in which your plans usually don't work out. 
And you often feel stuck or even lost at times. He's the way out. He's the way to peace and fulfillment in the unpredictable world that we live in. And it's important to know that God, His plan, His way, is not that you accomplish tasks. Like He has all these tasks set up for you and He wants you to accomplish them. I don't think God really cares about our accomplishments. You know why? Because our accomplishments come from our gifts. And our gifts were given to us by Him. So ultimately, our accomplishments are His. What He cares about is not all the stuff you do in this world, but the type of person you become. It costs Him nothing to give you gifts. It costs Him that. For your heart and my heart, which are often fickle and terribly arrogant, to trust Him. What He cares about is if we'll follow if we'll surrender and what will look like in the end. Every Christian at the end of their life should look like a man or a woman of complete trust and surrender. And in doing this and living this way, we begin to see him not only in the joys of our life, that's easy. We begin to see him in all of the loss, all of the grief, all of the shattered plans. And we don't lose hope. As St. Paul says, we don't grieve like the pagans because we hope. And just like those apps that keep saying recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. You know, maybe that's just me because I make all these stupid turns. You know, what's, you know what's incredible? Do you guys remember? You remember when we had maps? Like real maps? And you would, you would miss like a freeway exit in a big city. It was hours maybe until you figured out how you were getting to the place you were going. Now, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And I think Jesus does that in our lives, too, because we make all these stupid decisions. You know, I feel like the Lord's like, just stay on the road. I'm like, I'm trying. I just stink at this. So he's recalculating, recalculating. Why? Because God works all things to the good for those who love him. And when you meet somebody who is a man or a woman of trust and surrender, they're attractive. You want what they have. And this is what made Christianity so dang attractive in the early church. And this is why the modern church has little to no influence, I'm convinced. People are not following Jesus. They're not following the way. And they're not living in trust and surrender. And so what are they full of? Not freedom. Anxiety. Fear. That's not attractive. I don't want to hang out with you if you're full of anxiety and fear. But when you meet a man or a woman of freedom... Who believes that God's in total control? Yeah, I want to be part of that. Most of us, I think, come to church, we check off a box. How do I know that? Because I did it for years. And I never really knew the person of Jesus. I was way too invested in the world. And I think that's why the church has no power. Because people are way more invested in the world than they are in their faith. Last night I was uh, playing a game with a family. It's called Catchphrase. You ever played this game? <clears throat> I didn't really like it. I'm not that good at it. But we got to a, a category and it was all on celebrities. And then I really didn't like the game because I don't know any of these people. And the one came up and the, the, the girl was sitting there and she's like, oh, this is it. it's, the, it's the guy that's in High School Musical. And I'm like, I have never seen that movie. And she's like, come on, it's Zac Efron. How could you not know that? And I'm like, because I don't care. I really don't care. There should be a category on catchphrase for like Christianity. I'd kill it at that one. Kill it at that one. But we check out this box because we just don't know the power and the beauty that the faith has. 
And so a lot of it is just obligation. Pope Benedict XVI, you know, just passed away, our late Holy Father, he gave this awesome analogy in a, in a homily he gave. He said the church, for most people, is like stained glass windows. Have you ever seen our stained glass windows from the outside? They're ugly. If you're standing outside the church looking at the stained glass window, they're dreary, they're opaque, kind of heavy metal. But once you get inside the church and the light shines through, they're magnificent, absolutely beautiful. And Pope Benedict said most Christians are outside the church looking in and all they see is that opaque, dreary heaviness. They never get inside and see the absolute beauty and majesty of what the faith is. All they see it is, is something that's rules, something that's too hard. You know, G.K. Chesterton, my favorite quote, he always says that it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's Christianity has been found difficult and left untried. That's people looking out from the outside looking in. Our task is to get people in here. And how do we do that? By how we live. I'm going to give you three, three ways to do that, okay? The first one, bold preaching. And I bet everybody's thinking right now, yeah, Father, go get them. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. Bold preaching. What do I mean by that? Go to work. If you go to work, could you talk to a coworker about how Jesus has radically changed your life? What he's done for you. How your life is so much better, so much different because of the person of Jesus Christ that you met. That is bold preaching. Can you identify what difference Jesus made in your life? That's what happened in the early church. They were witnessing to each other. You know, John witnessed to Tom. I probably want to, let's use the first. Nicanor witnessed to Timon. Timon said, Nicanor, what do you have? And he's like, I got Jesus. He's like, I want that. And he became Christian. And then he died. That's how attractive the church was in the beginning. It was so attractive that people were willing to sign up and die. Now it's like pulling teeth to get people to come to Sunday Mass. So bold preaching, witnessing to what Jesus has done for you. Two, signs and wonders. I'm getting more and more convinced of this. Especially after the healing service we did here during Lent. You would be hard-pressed to find in the Acts of the Apostles one single page where a miracle is not happening. And what are the Acts of the Apostles? It's the church at work. It's us. Where are our signs and wonders? Where are our miracles? You know why I think we don't have any? Because we're not following the way. We don't believe. I'm going to question for you. Make me, make me proud this morning. There is one place in the scripture where Jesus can't work miracles. Where is it? Raise your hand. Cheaters. Do you know? Nazareth. And why could he not work miracles in Nazareth? Huh? Nobody believed. It said for their lack of faith, he could work no miracles. Jesus wants to do amazing things. Amazing things. He even says it in the gospel. Did you hear it at the end of John's gospel today? He says, you think I do amazing things. 
You guys are going to do greater things than I do. Where are they? Jesus said there's pretty crazy things. Where are signs and wonders? It's our job to go out and pray with people. Just like the apostles. You guys, Peter's shadow healed people. His shadow. Now I really feel like a loser. And everybody's like, well, what if nothing happens? That's not up to you. That's up to God. You're called a witness to something. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. We were on the choir tour, and the choir director had a really terrible headache, and they're like, and of course, one of the more faithful lay people is like, Father, pray over her, that the headache will go away. And I'm like, okay. And I did, I just prayed. Guess what? Headache went away. That's a sign. It's a wonder. We will do greater things than Jesus did. But you have to believe that it will happen. You have to believe that it's real, that he can do it, that he's present with us. Third, and maybe most important, how we get people into the church, not keeping them outside the church, a strikingly different community. You know what the number one converter of Christians is? Other Christians. You know what the number one reason people leave the church is? Other Christians. When they walk, when people who aren't here never on a Sunday and they walk into this church, do they experience something different? Do they experience a strikingly different community? Because that's what the early church was. People looked at the early church and they longed for what they had. They wanted to be part of it. Why? Because they lived differently than the rest of the world. They loved each other. They cared for each other. Nobody went without. They provided for each other. Nobody suffered alone. In essence, they really did what Jesus asked them to do. Problem is, you guys, you and I, we live in perhaps more than any other age in the history of humanity, the most isolated and alone culture to ever exist. We have never been more disconnect, more connected and yet disconnected in the history of humanity. Despite all your phones and your Facebook pages and your Twitter accounts, people are unbelievably lonely. I see this. I'm on the front lines. I deal with it all the time. Suicides through the roof, anxiety, depression through the roof. Why? Because we feel alone. There is no greater killer of joy in the human race than loneliness. But the Christian community isn't supposed to be like that at all. Do people look at our parish and long to be part of it? Do people look at your, your family and say, I want that family? Or do they look at your family and say, oh my gosh, I'm glad I don't have that family. We are called to be strikingly different. A light on a hilltop. If you want to be part of the way, you've got to follow the way. Get in line. Get behind Jesus. Let him take us to his, our ultimate destination. No matter what gets in our way. He's with us. He's offering us a different way to live. One not full of loneliness. One full of connectivity, community, love. But you've got to make choices to push back against the world or you'll never get it. A different destination than the cheap things of the world. Do people see us differently? Do they see you differently? Or are you just part of the world? Because Jesus is the guide. He's the road. He's the map. He's the way.